Warm greetings, fellow Joymongers. Welcome to episode four of Joyfully You Life with Dr. Petrina Clark. I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. I've actually been a bit under the weather these last few days, but I'm happy to be on the other side of whatever this bug is. And I have to give a huge shout out to my girlfriend, Susan, for whipping up a batch of her immunity. That magic elixir is yummy and gets the immune system right. As we're approaching light at the end of the pandemic tunnel, I want to encourage everyone to please remain diligent get vaccinated as soon as you can, and keep up those pandemic protocols, wearing your mask, physical distancing, and hand washing. In last week's episode, Laferne and I talked about the importance of self-care. Many of us take better care of our cars and our homes than we do of our bodies. Let's flip the script on that. Make sure you're getting great rest, staying hydrated, eating nutritious foods, and staying active. If you want your body to function as a finely tuned precision instrument, it's important to treat it like one. And because so much of how our body functions is not readily visible, it's easy to take those functions for granted, at least until something malfunctions. So maintain that divine vessel by giving it the absolute best possible care you can and act with intention to have a joyful, energetic body. This week, I'm excited to share some ideas for living more intentionally. Stephen Covey originally published his best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in 1989. The book has sold more than 25 million copies and introduced empowering habits for a life well-lived. The book was groundbreaking for its emphasis on aligning personal values with universal timeless principles that can move a person through three levels of maturity, dependence, independence, and interdependence. We're all dependent when we come into this world as babies. As we get older, we acquire skills and resources to become what we believe is independent. Though for too many of us, this independence is a fragile illusion. We actually still rely heavily on others to get what we believe we need, whether that be actual resources, personal validation, or just energy. I bet you've had the experience of coming into contact with what I refer to as an energy vampire. These people literally drain the energy from your body. After spending time with them, you feel exhausted and depleted. Now, this is not to say that we don't all need support from time to time. I'm referring to the chronic complainer who lives in victimhood where everything is someone else's fault. If only she would do this, if only he hadn't done that. When we mature from dependence to independence, we are pretty free from external influences and needing the constant support of and affirmation from others. In independence, our confidence is not easily shaken and we are less likely to compromise on things that are truly important to us. We more often and more comfortably use I statements, taking responsibility for how our lives unfold. Covey calls the third and final level of maturity interdependence. At this level of maturity, we recognize that we are interconnected beings and act from a place of considering how we show up in the world and the impact that has on others. We more often use we statements and rejoice in opportunities to co-create mutually beneficial experiences and outcomes. 
while I may not need you to reinforce my sense of self-worth or sustain my happiness, I value and appreciate that having you in my life adds richness, depth, and especially joy. Each of Covey's seven habits is associated with one of the three maturity levels. The principle and focus for this week's episode is associated with independence or self-mastery. And that principle is begin with the end in mind. In his book, Covey encourages us to imagine a future desired outcome so that we can create a plan and work toward that outcome. While I'm not necessarily a fan of Covey's process for developing and executing plans, I do like the concept of becoming clear about what you'd like your future to feel like. And please note, I am placing heavy, heavy emphasis on the word feel. Too often when we think about a desired future state, it includes people, places, and things. We imagine a better job, a more compatible romantic partner, a bigger house, a bigger bank account. The list goes on and on. It can be a powerful exercise to dig a little deeper and ask what about having that thing will make my life better than it is right now. Now listen, please don't mistake this for some admonition to live without desire. I'll be the first to admit I like nice things. I believe healthy desire can actually fuel us to move through life with passion and enthusiasm. What I'm advocating here is taking the time to explore whether a desire that we have is one that supports us in feeling better, that the desire comes from a belief in abundance and a feeling of joy rather than from a place of lack, dissatisfaction, or unhappiness. I'll give you a personal example. I used to desperately want to have a child. I imagined that giving birth would be the culmination of my transition to womanhood. Of course, this was completely understandable with all of societal messages and biological drivers to procreate. I had a six-hour surgery to correct a chronic case of endometriosis, and my doctor was not optimistic about my chances of conceiving. Still, Every time my cycle was one day late, I'd get so excited and imagine what it would be like to carry a child, give birth, and actually be a mom. I probably spent hundreds of dollars on pregnancy tests over the years, hoping against hope that the doctors would be wrong. As time passed, I actually began asking myself why being a mother was so important to me. Many of the answers that came up were generally about external expectations. The only answer that seemed to consistently come up was the notion that I would have someone to love me unconditionally and take care of me into my old age. Well, those are really not the best answers or motivations for having kids, especially since having a child doesn't guarantee either of those outcomes. So at some point, I leaned into just allowing and allowing turned into joyful acceptance for my life exactly as it is. And it is from a place of joyful acceptance that we can move from one joyful place to the next. Dr. John Kabat-Zinn is an internationally known scientist, writer, and meditation teacher who brought mindfulness into the mainstream of medicine and society. He published a book in 1994 titled, Wherever You Go, There You Are. It is one of life's greatest ironies that no matter how much we want to be different, wherever we go, 
there we are. There's just no getting away from ourselves. Go on a vacation, there we are. Get a new job, there we are. Move to a new home in a different state, wow, there we are. Wherever we look, we are looking out of the same pair of eyes. Whatever we do, it's still the same body doing it. So let's get back to Covey's principle of beginning with the end in mind. If we accept that death is the end of our physical existence, we can use that point with Covey's principle. And there is a brilliant book by Bronnie Ware that offers amazing perspective. Bronnie Ware is an Australian nurse who spent several years working in palliative care, caring for patients in the last 12 weeks of their lives. She recorded their dying epiphanies in a blog called Inspiration in Chai, which gathered so much attention that she put her observations into a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Ware writes in her international best-selling memoir about the phenomenal clarity of vision that people gain at the end of their lives and how we might learn from their wisdom. So following are the five themes that emerged as observed and captured by Ware. The most common regret expressed was wishing they'd had the courage to live a life true to themselves, not the life others expected of them. This regret speaks to the importance of personal clarity about values and what really matters most. We can be bombarded with so many messages about who we should be and what we should be doing. The soul knows, and I love that the first soul question during a Chopra meditation is, who am I? Sitting in stillness with this question will allow God or spirit to reveal our truest essence, which is an important step for living authentically. If we're easily influenced by others, our lives can be all over the place as we jump through one hoop and then another. It can take a lot of courage to live authentically, courage to create and enforce boundaries, courage to let go of relationships and embrace new ones. Courage to speak our truth. Courage to just take a leap of faith. As Laferne reminded us last week, we don't have to start with big grand gestures. We can start with baby steps and build our courage as we grow. The second regret were shared in her book was wishing they hadn't worked so hard. We hear all the time about the importance of work-life balance, but for most, our existence is far from balanced. I think the important thing here is to define what balance looks and feels like for you and endeavor to honor that. Work can have ebbs and flows with certain times requiring extra effort. But if the vast majority of the vast majority of our days are spent working, we should take some me time to reflect on our personal why. The second soul question we ask in meditation is, what do I want? Sitting in silence with this question can support us in creating and maintaining better balance by intentionally focusing our energy and effort in the direction of our truest desires. Work for work's sake can be draining, but work aligned with a purpose can energize us. The third regret is wishing they'd had the courage to express their feelings. Many of us grew up being admonished that if you can't say something nice, then don't say anything at all. That's probably good advice for casual relationships of little consequence. But for significant relationships that we hope to nurture and grow, 
it is so important that we share our feelings, that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable to one another and extend real opportunities to deepen our connections. Superficial exchanges result in superficial connections. Another important reason not to suppress your feelings is it's not healthy, physically, psychologically, or emotionally. Feelings have an energetic charge and need an outlet. One of my personal exercises of self-reflection when preparing to have a difficult or uncomfortable conversation is to ask myself two questions. First, I ask, what is my desired highest outcome for this conversation? I keep asking the question until I feel in my heart that I've identified the outcome aligned with the highest and greatest good. The second question I ask is, what would be most helpful for me to share to achieve that outcome? Taking the time to develop heart-based responses to these two questions supports me with establishing the right energy around the conversation by planning what I'll say and how I'll say it. Going back to Ware's book, the fourth regret that she shares is wishing they'd stayed in touch with their friends. In our hustle and bustle society where we're often more focused on the pursuit of happiness rather than actually just being happy, we lose important social connections. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to locate girlfriends who still hold a special place in my heart, even though we lost touch decades ago. I hold out hope that one day our paths will cross again, even if only so I can share how much they're traveling a part of my journey with me meant to me. Love on your loved ones. The pandemic has certainly highlighted the importance of this. The final regret where I identified was wishing they had allowed themselves to be happier. I remember when I first came across this book, this particular regret really resonated with me. It underscored the fundamental truth that happiness is a choice. We too often stay stuck in old patterns and situations because they're familiar. Better the devil we know than the devil we don't, they say. I don't know about you, but I'm not that excited about cavorting with devils. I'm much more interested in frolicking with light bearers. It can absolutely be hard breaking out of old habits, but it is absolutely not true that you can't teach an old dog a new trick. Old dogs are quite capable of learning new tricks their entire lives. Now, admittedly, enthusiasm tends to wane as we get older, but that's a lack of desire, not a lack of ability. We must own the distinction. So now I'd like to share a short story with you about a fisherman named Lydia who lived in a small coastal town we'll call Joyful, and an investment banker named Amanda. Amanda had booked a bed and breakfast getaway in Joyful because she'd heard it was a wonderful place to get away from it all, which was exactly what she needed to do. Her work-life balance had been non-existent and she hadn't had a vacation in more than three years. One afternoon, while Amanda was out taking a stroll along the pier, she happened upon Lydia, who was in the process of docking her small fishing boat. Amanda took note of Lydia's catch, and an approving smile crossed her lips. Quite a catch, she called out to Lydia. Thanks. How long did it take for you to catch those, Amanda wanted to know. Not long, Lydia replied. Maybe two or three hours. Oh, remarked Amanda, looking somewhat surprised. 
Well, why are you returning so early? Well, Lydia replied, I knew what I needed to catch today to be sure I met my family's needs. So once I had what I needed, I decided to come in. Oh, so this was an unusual day. Or do you usually return so early? Oh, no, it's not unusual at all. In fact, some days I actually managed to get in a bit earlier. Well, what do you do with all that free time? There sure doesn't seem to be very much to do around here. Oh, I have a very full life. Admittedly, I do tend to sleep in later than some of the other fishermen around here, but I like to get up and have breakfast with my family. And after breakfast, I go out and fish a little, returning early enough in the day to spend lazy afternoons with my family. In the evenings, I love going to the local pub where I drink beer with my friends and play my guitar late into the night. Lazy afternoons? Drinking beer in pubs? Amanda could hardly believe her ears. She held up her hand, motioning for Lydia to stop talking. That all sounds lovely, my dear, but I'm going to give you some advice that's going to help you create the life of your dreams. Wow, the life of my dreams, Lydia replied. Admittedly, she was slightly intrigued as she had no idea who this stranger was and why she was taking such a keen interest in how she spent her days. Yes, please share. Well, you're clearly a very talented fisherman. The problem is you're not spending enough time out on the water. So you're going to need to start your days much earlier. Lydia was already not liking what she was hearing. The idea of missing breakfast with her family was almost a non-starter. But she decided she'd keep an open mind. Okay, so how will working more hours help me create the life of my dreams? I'm glad you asked, Lydia. This is the sort of advice I give to most successful clients, and I am so excited to share it with you as a personal gift. With the additional revenue you'll earn, you'll be able to buy a bigger boat. This will in turn allow you to generate even more revenue and buy more boats until you have your own fleet of fishing boats. And then the size of your fleet will allow you to skip the middlemen and you can sell your catch directly to the processor saving even more money. Then before you know it, you'll open up your own cannery, giving you end-to-end -end control of the product, processing, and distribution. You'll be able to establish your headquarters in a major metropolitan area where you can attract top talent to run your expanding enterprise. Wow. Well, how long will all of this take? Well, based on my experience with startups, Lydia, if you work really hard and apply yourself, I think you can acquire your fleet in about 10 years, and then maybe another five years or so, you'll have that cannery. Wow, 15 years. So then what happens? Amanda got noticeably excited and a huge smile across her face. That's the best part. When the time is right, you'll announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public. You'll very likely make millions. Wow, millions, huh? Then what? Well, then you can retire. Maybe move to a quiet coastal town where you can sleep late, fish a little, spend lazy afternoons with your family and stroll down to the local pub in the evenings to have a beer and play guitar with your friends. 
a knowing look passed between the two as Amanda said those final words. We spend so much of our lives pursuing happily ever after that we forget about being happy right now. And being happy right here, right now, is the only guaranteed way to live happily ever after, to live a life without regret. That brings us to the end of our time together for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I've included links in the show notes for Stephen Covey's and Bronnie Ware's websites. Until next week, be joyfully you, full of joy, fully you.